The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Don't change that dial. Yes, this is the Stone Zone. I'm your guest host, Sal Greco. Uh, Roger had uh, some things he had to take care of today, so uh, I'll be filling in for him. And as you know, uh, I am very good friends with Roger. Uh, I was a New York City police officer and uh, for 14 years, and uh, they had a problem with me So because I was a friend of Roger. So I was terminated from the job because I was friends with Roger Stone and because I am a supporter of Donald Trump. And there's a lot of politics in play here, not only in my case, but in New York City in general. So I know everyone here loves to tune in because Roger is probably the most brilliant guy I know. He knows politics inside and out. He knows life inside and out. And uh, he, you know, counsels me in a lot of different areas, especially in my own life. And he's a very close friend of mine. But today's focus will be New York City in general. Now, uh, you know, not only was President Donald Trump born in New York City, he was born in Queens. I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, and Roger did live in New York City for many, many years. And uh, we have an affinity for New York City, despite the fact that uh, I know many conservatives and many people that tune into the show will like to say, you know, New York City, they kind of, you know, very leftist, Democrat-run city. Who really cares about it? Sometimes I like to agree with that. But in all honesty... New York is a microcosm. New York City in general is a microcosm of the entire country. If you just let it run, run itself you know, down with the leadership they have, the corrupt leadership they have that's inept, then New York City is lost and the country might be lost because we can't let cities just fall under this you know, tyrannical rule. So as I've stated, you know, New York City in general, I was a police officer there. So something, uh, you know, I saw yesterday, and there's a lot of stuff that happened yesterday between the mayor of New York City. Uh, there was a bill that there was over, overridden by um, city council. But there's an incident I'd like to start off with, and it's, uh, you know, when I was a cop, okay, I made numerous arrests. I was an active cop, and I was always fair, but my big thing was DWIs. I enforced DWIs. I locked up many people. And of these people, many of them were actually undocumented. You could call them, I guess, the politically correct word is migrant, but many of them were undocumented. And now this stating, you know, going back to that time frame, whenever I did make this arrest, you would, you would think that there'd be ICE detainers and that Homeland Security would actually detain or pick these uh, undocumented up. Uh, folks, that's never happened. Uh, there's a decree that's been put in place many years ago, I believe, under the Koch administration. Therefore, Homeland Security virtually never comes and picks up 
any of these uh, illegal immigrants or undocumented that are arrested, unless there's a serious ICE detainer for, it has to be a major crime. So what you're about to see here is something that's kind of disturbing. So uh, guys, if you could roll clip number one right now, we'll show uh, the audience. PlayStation. Now, these officers are trying to affect an arrest. And look at the struggle they're going through. And they're struggling with these, these perpetrators who happen to be undocumented. Look at this. Look at that. That is disgusting. And uh, I just found out this morning that the four, I believe they arrested these these uh, undocumented. You know what happened? They were actually released immediately. So they didn't even stay in jail one second. There was no phone call to Homeland Security. In New York City, it's all about sanctuary city. These people have free reign to do whatever they want. So as you can tell, these poor officers, including the lieutenant, I believe they had to go to the hospital with their injuries. And uh, this is like a microcosm, what's going on there, between the, uh, the migrant, the shelters that they have in place, and they were actually, eight of them got closed. And that was actually a big, a big kudos to uh, Curtis Sliwa and my friend John Tobacco. They, uh, and they're friends of the show, and they, they went out there and were protesting and put actual lawyers on it, and they got eight shelters shut down, especially the ones in Staten Island. Because this is the kind of behavior that goes on there. Now, look, I understand there's going to be some, you know, undocumented that actually, you know, they're not they're not violent people and they might be seeking shelter and they want to, you know, they're looking for a job and they're looking for a better life. But amongst those, there's always going to be the criminal element, which you just saw right there. And uh, in all honesty, I don't know what to say about that. This is, you know... I came from the police department. This was my police department. I had to deal with this kind of stuff all the time. And to see how it's just fallen under this leadership of Mayor Eric Adams, Police Commissioner Ed Caban, the Chief of Department Jeffrey Madry, Assistant Commissioner Kaz Dodger, who, by the way, was a detective and all of a sudden was promoted while detective to Assistant Commissioner he never was a supervisor on the job. I don't know how this works. Uh, apparently, he has a beef with some of my friends on a podcast. That's kind of interesting, in all honesty. But uh, that's another story. But under this leadership, uh, this is this is what has occurred in New York City, and uh, we can't allow this ha to happen in other cities. Especially, I mean, I'm a, I live out in here in Florida now. Roger lives in Florida. We have other cities in this country that you know. There's other like sanctuary cities like Denver, and we just th this can't be spreading. So the problem here is you have to uh, honor ICE detainer warrants, but it's a federal issue because the federal government is the one allowing them in, not stopping anything at the border. They're just everyone just walking in and out. So as much as we want to blame Eric Adams, who is undeniably the best dressed mayor since Jimmy Walker, the most corrupt mayor since William O'Dwyer, 
and the most incompetent mayor since Bill de Blasio. We want to blame him for everything, but in this actual instance, the only thing he's guilty of is he was championing them to come to the city. He was saying, we want uh, illegal immigrants here. We want undocumented here. We're going to care for them. Meanwhile, there was never a plan to where you're going to shelter them. Are they going to get jobs? How are they going to get approval for this stuff? So this is just a breakdown and, and, and complete breakdown in public safety. Once again, Eric Adams, no plan. He's a swagger man with no plan, as Curtis Sliwa states. And this incident yesterday was disgusting. My heart goes out to uh, the officers involved because it's the rank and file that I truly respect and I want, I look out for and I care for and not the corrupt leadership. We'll get to that in a little bit, what's going on there. So now uh, there was another instance that happened recently and it led to what you saw yesterday at city council and I'll break this down. So a councilman who was recently elected, his name is Youssef Salam. He's one of the Central Park five or was it six, but five, I guess. And if you remember back in the it happened, incident happened in Central Park in the late 80s, uh, a woman was brutally raped, almost, you know, left to die. Uh, and they had um, arrested five gentlemen who I believe they called uh, back in that day. They said they were wilding. I don't know what that means. I mean, but uh, so Youssef Salam was one of these gentlemen that was picked up at the time, was 15 years old. He was arrested. Uh, about 10 or 12 years later, they uh, one person that was in prison fessed up to the he was I, I, I believe he was the rapist. So they let uh, the five, the Central Park Five out of prison, they exonerated them from this charge. And then later on, uh, Youssef now, about, was it 20 years ago, 20 something years ago, was released out of prison. He was compensated for this though. He did sue the city, they, they, they gave about $40 million to these uh, Central Park Five. So he was, he was compensated while he was exonerated. And very recently, he won a city council seat for District 9, which is in Harlem. It's a uh, 2A, 26 precinct in, uh, in New York City. So he was pulled over, okay, the other night. And uh, what happened was there's this bill that was uh, uh, being uh, vetoed by Mayor Adams because there's a level one, two, three, four for a stop. When you stop someone in the street, this goes back to the infamous stop, question, and frisk. It's a level two or level three. You have to document this stuff on paper. If you stop a vehicle, it's automatically a level four. You already have to do a, a stop report. So everything now has become paperwork. Everything's on body camera. So Youssef Salam was stopped apparently in the 2-6 precinct. So uh, guys, roll clip number two, and then I'll explain what happened here after. Roll that back one for me, too. Can roll your back window, please? Hey, hello. I'm Officer Kentucky from the 2-6 Precinct. I'm Just Council saying, Member Salam. Oh, Council Member? This district, District 9. Oh, okay. Uh, Have a good one. Yeah. You're, you're working, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Take care, sir. All right, folks, what you just saw there is a textbook car stop 
Basically, this is almost a run-of-the-mill car stop for any police officer that's working in New York City right now. This kind of stop happens numerous times. Right there you saw this officer stopped this vehicle because he, A, believed he was speeding. I believe that's what's on the stop report. Number two, he had dark tinted windows. So he approached the vehicle. He did everything by the book. That's how we're trained. How I know this? I once worked for a unit called Citywide Traffic Task Force. That is where I was a DWI. Uh, I was a DWI. I was in the DWI unit, and we enforced DWIs. Later on, uh, I was forced to uh, write summonses while I was under investigation for the whole, you know, being a friend of Roger Stone's. And uh, that must have been, it was like a crime in uh, NYPD. So uh, these gentlemen uh, did a text. Everything was by the book. They approached the vehicle. They had him lower the window. He identified himself. And before he said what his officer's name was, Yusef Salam said, I'm Yusef Salam. I'm a councilman. He then turned around and goes, oh, so you're, you're in this district. Uh, so you uh, uh, you working right now? Because he must have seen he was on the phone with someone. He said he was, and he said, have a nice night. He did everything by the book. By the next morning, Youssef Salam made a huge deal about this. Now, on the political side of this, there's going to be a note. Youssef Salam ran almost unopposed. in the. It's a, unless it's a highly Democratic area. It's a Democrat seat. No Republican has a chance for this seat. And uh, he was put there by, uh, I believe it was uh, Kenneth Wright. Or, uh, Wright is the last name. He's uh, the chair. He's the Democrat Party chair. He removed, he basically set this seat up for Youssef Salam. And uh, he won this seat by, I, I don't even know what his policy was. Youssef Salam had no policy. He just basically said, I am one of you. I was a victim years ago. And that's it. He never said what he's going to do for Harlem. I don't know what his plan was. But that's how he, that was his platform. That's how he was elected. So he came out with a statement. And he basically lied. He said that the officer uh, never never uh, stated why he was pulled him over. He said that he he asked him, which you could clearly see, he never asked him why he was pulled over. He said he was on a phone call. Three other councilmen were involved apparently in this phone call, plus an ACLU lawyer. The uh, chair, the head of the council, the city council was Adrian Adams. Apparently, she was on this phone call. Another councilwoman. Uh, believe her name is Nurse, and another councilwoman, Hudson, all backed up Youssef's story. And then the NYPD released this video and exonerates the officer, stating the officer did nothing wrong. Youssef has continued this story. So now this blows into the next day, which Tuesday was the vote. Now I stated the uh, How Many Stops Act, which would, which would mean that police officers, there's a bill that Jumani Williams, the public advocate, and by the way, Jumani Williams, if you think of far left, Jumani Williams is far left times 10, okay? Maybe a nice guy in person, nice to talk to, but a socialist. That's the best way to describe him. He uh, wrote this bill up, he and I believe one other council person, and they said that the, they want every interaction that a police officer encounters, meaning if a police officer just says hello, or has to ask someone a question. I'll give you a scenario. A robbery just occurred. Two police officers respond to the area. They go to the to the residence. They knock on the door. 
nobody answers. Uh, they find the, somebody, you know, the, the description is that somebody was uh, robbed and that uh, the suspect fled uh, north, northbound going down the street uh, towards the avenue. They can't see anything. They haven't seen anybody. Somebody's walking the street. They simply turn around and tell the gentleman, uh, excuse me, did you see somebody running? The gentleman might, whatever he says, now this officer has to fill out a report because he said to this person, did you see someone? That is the whole purpose of the bill, this level one encounter, which is what they call it. Level two, level three is all reasonable suspicion, and it's all, you know, that's all the stop, question, and frisk. And then, uh, you know, if you're going to detain somebody, and then if you arrest somebody. So that's that, that's a whole nother story. That's fine, because they already have to write a report for that. But this is the, the level one. So now, uh, guys, you can roll clip three, and we'll see the end result of what happened yesterday when city council was uh, voting to override this bill. So there it is. NYPD forced to report nearly every public interaction as council overwhelmingly rejects Adams' veto of cop stop bill. So originally, they already had threatened Eric Adams that they were going to veto this. Uh, they were going to veto him. He vetoed the bill on the account that I said. It was one of the few things Eric Adams has actually done correct. Because like I stated, if an officer has to encounter somebody, how in the world, it, it, it's going to be a lot of work, okay? So they threatened that they were going to veto this. Originally, their votes were, there's 51 council members in New York City, okay? So the original count was 35 to 9. 35 to 9, all right? Yesterday, one of the council men that were in there, I think it was Yeager, is a conservative de uh, Democrat, he tried to make a motion saying, well, this, this procedure wasn't, we weren't notified of this. They basically shut him down. They were going with this vote no matter what. I'm going to tell you now behind the scenes, Eric Adams not one time spoke to any of these council people directly. He, he had to at least flip. Remember, I think it was 35. They need 34 votes. He needed to flip two people, and he never spoke to anyone. Why? Because Eric Adams is facing a federal investigation. Now, we're not saying that he's, uh, you know, uh, being charged with a crime. We don't know this. It's a lot of smoke right now behind Eric Adams. They're probing his campaign and they're asking around about these uh, straw donor donations and these visits to Turkey and these uh, inspections for this Turkish embassy. So Eric Adams is under a cloud of dust. I heard that he doesn't even have his original phone. He's, he's walking around. He's very terrified of what's going on around him because he can't trust anyone. So he didn't really speak to any of these council people, but his lobbyist, his former chief of staff, the number one lobbyist in New York City, Frank Caron, it's reported that he was talking to all these people. And yet what happened yesterday? 35 people did not veto this bill or veto Eric Adams, 42, 42 out of the 51 council members voted for this. And this bill also included a second bill, which takes away solitary confinement. The only problem with that, when it regards to Rikers, solitary confinement was already banned in 2016 under the illustrious incompetent Bill de Blasio. So that was, that's a whole farce. What it does is now 30, so let's say they're on a, uh, a bus.
going from corrections, they're transporting them in. So there's a, a, a vehicle, a bus full of 30 inmates or 30 perpetrators that are headed to Rikers Island, plus a couple of guards. Now 30 of them don't have to be handcuffed. So you can only imagine what could already happen on, on this uh, bus on the way in. Secondarily, if there's an incident that there are already a lot of incidents in Rikers that go reported, unreported. So let's say they stab one of these uh, correction guards. Now they have they used to be taken out from that from their cell and put into a different area. Now they just take them out of cell and put them back in that cell because they passed this bill. So shame on the corrections unit uh, union. Shame on I don't uh, I mean Norm uh, what's his name Norman Seabrook who was the head of the uh, union and then was uh, uh, charged with political corruption and recently was released. And he's been advocating again for correction officers. Yeah, he was nowhere to be found in this. By the way, he's a good friend of Eric Adams. Eric Adams, who not once mentioned correction, not once. It was all about the NYPD and this city council and all of these radical city council people hate the police. They hate the police. But more importantly, with this move, I see this, and I'm only giving you my opinion. And listen, I've been around everyone there. I've been around the courts 14 years, and now I've been around politics. As you know, basically, Sagreco is all about pizza policing and politics. LOL. So the politics part of this is look, I think this is a wink and a nod from the city council. There's a lot of rumors about the United States attorney from the Southern District of New York. He's been looking at Eric Adams and the campaign. And although we're not saying there's any wrongdoing, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to look at here. And now, basically, Eric Adams has become the empty $5,000 suit that he always was as a cop and now as a politician. He has no power in New York City anymore. City council will override him at any turn. They already overrode not one, not two, but three of his bills. They've vetoed. They've overridden three of his vetoes already. It's the first time this has happened, a Democrat-led city council overriding a Democrat mayor. That's what just occurred. It's so rare that it happened under David Dinkins, Eric Adams' idol. And as you know, David Dinkins was probably one of the worst mayors in the history of New York City up until uh, Bill de Blasio came around. And now Eric Adams was continued a legacy of Bill de Blasio. So I believe this is a wink and a nod saying we, city council, we took all his power. They're all making moves behind the scenes as Kevin Wright or Keith Wright with Youssef Salam and uh, Adrian Adams, the head of the council. They're all saying, look, we run the city. We run the show. Here's your boy. You want Eric Adams? Here he is on a, on a silver platter. You want to indict him? Whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter because we have all the power. If he was to get indicted and he has to, has to step down, or whatever the deal may be, kind of like what they did with Andrew Cuomo when he was the governor, then the public advocate, the man that wrote the bill, co-sponsored this bill, public advocate Jumani Williams would become the mayor for 90 days until there was a special election. So in my opinion, from what I have seen, this is a wink and a nod, state going back to the DOJ, and they're telling the DOJ, Guys, come and get your guy. He has no more pull here in New York City. He's just an empty suit. If he tries anything, we're going to override him anyway. So that's uh, that story, what's going on there with uh, Eric Adams in the city council, which yesterday was uh, 
that was a tragedy. I feel very sorry for the New York City Police Department because the, the, the rank and file will now have to deal with this bill. This is uh, going to put a lot of pressure on them. And I also feel for the correction officers, and they have a very hard job. Rikers Island is, that's another political football because uh, the federal court and the, the federal government is supposed to take it over. It has been a monitor for 20 years. They're finally making the move to take that over, take the reins from the city because they're clearly inept on handling uh, Rikers Island. It's been a nightmare for many, many years. And uh, it was basically, they, I, I, it looks like to me, they're basically with throwing Rikers Island to the wind. They wanted nothing to do with it because they washed their hands already. That's why you never heard anybody talk about corrections here. And it's a, it's a real shame because those there's really good men and women that work at corrections. A lot of them actually women that are, are dealing with hell because a woman walking around those those parts we have all these gang members hanging out there you know in the, in the cells and they you know all the gangs they they run the asylum they run the gang they, they run the uh, prison records on there's, there's no doubt about it they outnumber everyone in there so you know and you're a female walking around you have to be very careful there's a lot of stories that go on there and this bill basically said the hell with you guys the police department went down with it and now you're going to see Probably, you know, I mean, crime is already up in New York City. I know Eric Adams tells you it's up. It's down 0.3%. No, Eric, it's up 30% in five out of seven categories for the last five out of seven majors for the last two years. It's up. It's up, not down. So that's with the, you know, with the bill yesterday. And that will segue into the next thing, which I'm going to start stating. So we'll go back to my case, how I was terminated. So I was terminated. They, they did a full investigation on me where they found, I mean, they did a witch hunt, okay? They were accusing me of uh, I wanted to uh, uh, overthrow the government, okay? That was one of the things they said. I wanted a civil war, whatever that means. It was a blank letter written. And that was Roger Stone's security. He's my friend, but I'm apparently his security because some officer wrote a letter to Internal Affairs and said this. So they treated this as if it was like the end of the world. I was interrogated two times. They couldn't find anything because I didn't do anything. They were asking about January 6th. They were asking about my relationship with Roger Stone. Who's this guy? Who's that guy? That guy was pictured with you five years ago. Who's this one? Who's that one? All this nonsense. So we we, we went ahead. I had, I had to get interrogated two times. Uh, they actually wrote that I was involved in narcotics. I don't know where they got that from. They kind of grabbed it out of the sky because... When we eventually went to my department trial, when I fought these charges that they charged me with internally, they stated I was never on narcotics. They never suspected I was narcotics. There was never any evidence of me on narcotics. Therefore, all everything they ever had, me calling people, people that, you know, all this stuff that they said I was doing, they should never have had a record. But yet, even though they had the records illegally, they still stated at the end that I, I had no no overt actions to do anything criminal or civil regarding January 6th, any other day, or anything in general, me or Roger. So that was with the whole investigation. So they terminated me because they said that I violated the patrol guide procedure. And the NYPD, the patrol guide is what governs the NYPD from every rank, civilian, and uniform member, even a police commissioner. And it stated that you cannot right, wrongfully or knowingly associate with someone who's reasonably believed to have engaged in or likely to have engaged in criminal activity, okay? That's a very broad brush, okay? But for them, they are stating it, that's Roger. 
They want to use the fact that he was uh, he had to go through his witch hunt of a trial and they railroaded him. And ultimately, Roger was pardoned and they didn't care. They said, nah, he's a criminal. He's a criminal. Roger's a criminal. OK, he even had a, a letter from the DOJ at my trial. And Roger came to the trial and they looked at him as if he was the devil. It was one of the wildest things I've ever seen in my, my, my career as a cop. And that letter that they had from the DOJ actually stated that even though Roger Stone was uh, 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 pardoned, it doesn't absolve him of his conviction. I mean, it's not serious they treated this. It's really, you know, really, they put a lot of money and resources into something that was ridiculous. So they said that I was, you know, associating with Roger. Therefore, then they, fired, they terminated me. And the police commissioner said that my continued employment in NYPD would be detrimental to the police department due to my friendship with Roger Stone. No problem. So I sued the NYPD immediately. A couple of months later, Cardi B gets invited to the police academy. Okay. Now she's a known criminal gangbanger. She raps songs about hating cops and all this kind of crazy stuff. She's even been involved in crimes that were never, you know, she was never charged for. She admits the crazy crime. So Engaged in criminal activity is that's the perfect candidate. They brought her to the police academy. She was paraded around the police academy. All these cops were hobnobbing with her, taking pictures. There were children there. One of the most disgraceful things you could possibly think of happening. They brought this kind of person to the police academy and try to pass it off as a we need to. What oh, so Eric Adams then had a press conference and said, We don't discard people. I wish I was there for this. That's funny, Eric, because you discarded me. That's what you did. So we came to find out later on about this infamous character, Jimmy Rodriguez. Now, Jimmy Rodriguez was a, is a self-admitted criminal. He owned a place back in the day in the Bronx called Jimmy's Cafe. It's so infamous that every rapper, all the thugs in the neighborhood, all these criminals would hang out there day and night. There were shootings there. There were uh, stabbings there. Uh, Fat Joe is known. I mean, he like that's where he almost started his career. I mean, he was there every night. They're very good friends with Jimmy, and you know, it was an it was so infamous that Major League Baseball banned their players from frequenting Jimmy's Cafe for two plus years, and it took a lot of political weight for them to take the ban off later on. Ultimately, Jimmy's place was closed in 2004. He ended up opening another place. He, you know, he's always, it's, it's always the same thing with this guy. So I come to find out, we come to find out he has, he, he, he's involved in a place where on his LinkedIn, it says that he owned, he's the creator and manager of a place called Consafrito. It's up in the Bronx, in the industrial section of the Bronx, 1315 Commerce Avenue. And uh, there's numerous pictures online of Jimmy Rodriguez, pictured with police commissioner Eddie Caban, pictured with uh, Mayor Eric Adams, pictured with uh, Letitia James, who's the attorney general of New York State, Carl Hasty, the assembly leader, I mean, just a, a litany of, of politicians and, and police officers. So you say to yourself, wait a minute. How are the police officers associating with Jimmy Rodriguez? 
Does he own this place? What we came to find out is you just saw that article. The real owner of Consafrito on paper for the liquor license was Richie Caban, the owner. He's the owner of the place and the brother of Eddie Caban. He's a former NYPD lieutenant. So you go on the New York City Buildings Department website, and right there and there, there's a summons. They got they got summoned in July or June of 2022. There's a 50-by-100-foot structure that was added to the place. This is like a dining structure, but it's more like a, a, an area to, you know, hang out in or dance or whatever the case is. It's made of wood, and they basically wrote the summons and said, even if you pay the summons, it's on it. You can check this out in, in New York City Department of Buildings. There it is. SLA opens a probe in a concertfrito. And that summons stated that they had to take the structure down. Now, the Buildings Department has never returned. Never returned. On top of that, on top of that, there was now, when they wrote this article, which I give the city and Greg... Uh, uh, Greg Smith, a ton of uh, credit for even getting all these documents. I mean, who knew that the fire department, two months after they opened, hit them with 17 violations. And then another one in October of 2023, there's no fire suppression system, meaning the place is a fire trap. They should have never been open this entire time. And the only thing you could say is it must be because of a political connection, right? I mean, this guy is... Eddie Caban's brother, the mayor's always there, Carl Hastie's always there. What the hell is Letitia James doing there? I mean, I don't know what she's, but she's good friends with Jimmy Rodriguez. And now, guys, if you could play the next clip with uh, somebody from its Sit Down News. He's a, uh, I guess he's a mob podcast. He's a, he's a, he has his own show on YouTube. And uh, we just let this roll. Let him explain uh, all about uh, Jimmy Rodriguez. Go ahead, guys. We were told by Stevie Korea, the underboss at the time, that we were not allowed to retaliate. He also told us something interesting, and I'll get to that later. But this incident put the Lucchese family in a dilemma, and here's what it was. Anthony Guzzo and I were not yet members. We were associates at the time. Because of this incident, and more importantly, to protect us from any retribution, we were fast-tracked to being inducted, which took place two weeks later on April 2nd, 2013. The story I'm about to relay took place during the two weeks after the strip club incident and prior to us being inducted. Actually, it was days before the induction ceremony. It's important to note, at this time, our names were on a list that were being passed around for proposed members into the Lucchese crime family. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, Anthony Guzzo had gotten in touch with me and asked me to meet with him. And I believe I met him at his house in Staten Island that day. Back then, Anthony had been dealing narcotics with some guy from the Bronx. Remember, he wasn't inducted yet, so the no-drug rule didn't apply to him. If he was caught dealing drugs, his name could have been removed from the proposed list, or he could have received a warning to stop doing what he was doing. But the worst-case scenario, he could have been chased in the family. None of the above happened because Anthony never got caught. So when I met with Anthony, he told me that this guy that he was dealing with in the Bronx offered him a good opportunity. He wanted to discuss it with me to see if I would get involved in it. Supposedly, the owner of the restaurant, Don Coquie, needed a favor. Don Coquie was located in the City Island section of the Bronx. According to what Anthony was told, the guy lent out $2 million and was unsuccessful in reclaiming his money. Allegedly, the restaurant owner was willing to give up 10% of the money if we could collect it. Anthony said we would split $100,000 each, so naturally I agreed to get involved. 
to be honest, at this time, the strip club incident wasn't even on my mind. We set a date for a few days later, and we would go take a ride to the Bronx and talk to the owner of the restaurant. When I left Anthony that day, I wanted to go do my homework on the owner of this restaurant. I went and spoke to a few people. One person in particular was Big John. I found out that the owner's name was Jimmy Rodriguez, and he owned several restaurants, including Jimmy's Bronx Cafe, Jimmy's Uptown, and Jimmy's Downtown. Big John had told me not long before we spoke, he had taken a girl out to lunch, I think in the Uptown restaurant. He said when he arrived at the restaurant, it wasn't open for lunch yet, but the owner happened to be there and let them sit down and order anyway. John said they made small talk with him and he was a nice guy. But I also found out that Jimmy Rodriguez had borrowed money in the past. When it comes to a sit down, whether it's one face in opposition or a friendly one, you should know who you're talking to, as well as any information available about them. After finding out everything I could, I wasn't happy with this information. Because a person who borrows money is rarely lending out $2 million. I'm not saying it's impossible, but highly unlikely. So for me, it was a red flag. I found out later that he checked the assessment of the property, not the appraisal. The assess for tax purposes is different from what appraised property. Mm -hmm. And it was it was assessed for a million dollars or a million five. So he pulled out of the deal. I said, well, but I don't have the money. I'll pay you when eventually I get into this deal. And, you know, I remember like going to 100 black men and asking them for help. And they said, we can help you, but we can't help the whole village. We'll help you because we know who you are and that's how we'll do it. And you always look up to these guys. And that was the beginning of Jimmy's. And then I did Jimmy's downtown, Jimmy's uptown, Jimmy's City Island. But I knew this information would come in handy when we did speak to this guy. On the day we were going to the Bronx, Anthony and I met at his cousin's house in Belmore, Long Island. We went over everything once again. I told him what I learned. And as usual, Anthony wanted to go in separate cars. And he wanted to use separate cars so that after we were done, he could go straight home from the Bronx. This was because his wife had him under a lot of pressure and he allowed her to question every hour that he was out. After we left Anthony's cousin's house and I got in my car and he got in his, as I was driving, I was starting to go over this whole thing in my head. Something wasn't sitting right with me. Something was off. And then it hit me. I called Anthony, who was in the car in front of me, and I asked him one question. I remember when Anthony first told me about his venture in the junk business, I had warned him to be careful. And he had told me that the guy he was dealing with was a good guy that was around people in the Bronx, which means he was an associate to one of the Bronx crews. So my question to Anthony was, did this guy from the Bronx just bring this opportunity up in conversation or did he reach out to you about it? Anthony said that the guy called him and asked to meet with him and then he told him about it. I shook my head. I told Anthony, pull the car over. I need to talk to you. Earlier, I mentioned when Anthony first discussed his opportunity with me, the strip club incident was the last thing on my mind. But at this moment, it was the only thing on my mind. We pulled our cars over and I got out and I asked Anthony another question. Why would a guy who's around people get the opportunity to make money and not bring that opportunity to those people. Yet, he wants to offer this opportunity to Anthony, a guy he's not associated with and a guy who's not part of their crew. I asked him if it made any sense to him. He said, now that I think of it, it doesn't make any sense. Then I reminded him that just two weeks earlier, we were involved in an incident where a Genovese captain got cracked in his face. Now back to the sit down we had at the Lucchese Social Club. Stevie Korea told us that day, that the Genovese family gave him a list of names of all the people that were involved in the incident. They had our names. I know who supplied our names, but that's another story that I'll get into at a later date. So I reminded Anthony that the Genovese family had all our names on a list. Then I told Anthony the most important piece of this puzzle. Ralphie Bassamo was from the Bronx. 
the same area where the guy who offered Anthony this money-making opportunity, an area where everyone calls each other their cousins, even if they're not related. Also, conveniently, the meeting location was at a restaurant located on City Island. For those of you not familiar with City Island, there is one way on and one way off that island. When I explained all this to Anthony and explained that this is the perfect setup, his face got a lot paler. I told him, if you still want to go, I'll go under one condition. We go get pistols. We agreed on that and we got back in our cars, but a few blocks later, Anthony pulled over again. I pulled my car behind him and got out of my car and he said to me, you know, Nancy warned me about the same thing. Nancy was his wife. As soon as he said this, I knew it was a lie. He called Nancy as soon as he got in the car and he told her what I just said and she agreed with me. But he was giving his wife the credit. Ultimately, Anthony didn't even want to go anymore, even with pistols. He kept shaking his head and saying, I can't believe I didn't see this. This definitely had him spooked. I told him, if this guy from the Bronx calls you to ever want to meet with you, be very careful. But he said after this, he wasn't meeting with him no more. Before we went our separate ways that day, he turned to me and said something. He said, you know, Nancy's smart. She's my little consigliere. I just smiled, got in my car and left. But what I wanted to tell him was, no, Joe DiNapoli is your consigliere. Did I have proof that Ralphie Bassamo planned a sneak move? I didn't have any proof. Did I think that this is exactly what was involved? Absolutely. And there you have it. Not only is Jimmy, you know, a self-admitted criminal, not only is he a part of this place that technically violated not one, but two, there's a third court order, and I'll get to that in two seconds. He's a mob associate. Look at that, okay? And now, as you could see, now, if you could pull up uh, the other clip, the other clips I have of the pictures of these uh, of Jimmy with uh, a couple of these characters, there you go. You know what that is? That's Letitia James. This woman is trying to destroy President Trump. What is she doing hanging out with Jimmy Rodriguez? Okay? To pull up the next clip. And there you have it right here. There's Jimmy. That's Richie Caban to his, uh, well, it's to our right, then Eric Adams. There's Eddie Caban, the police commissioner, and his other brother, James Caban. All associating with Jimmy Rodriguez in a place that is recklessly endangering people's lives. Uh, to make a, a, a short story, on January 6th of this year, they had an event at Consofrito with uh, a children. It's called Winter Wonderland. They were actually bussed in on NYPD buses, and they had a party at this place. Now, I want you to understand that the landlord, Joseph Dodonna III, filed for paperwork that he wanted them evicted for the reason being that they have all this stuff. They have the, the violations, they have the, the parties. He doesn't, he doesn't approve of this stuff. So they violated three court orders, let a busload of people in the place in total disregard of everything in a fire trap. And the NYPD, you know who sponsored that party is on the flyer? Internal affairs, the same people that said, I'm a bad guy because I'm friends with Roger Stone. So, Basically, in a nutshell, as you can see, uh, this will be at the forefront of my own lawsuit against the city because I don't know how you could say it's okay that, because the police department is actively engaging in criminal activity with these gentlemen because they're always there. We don't know why this place has never had any enforcement. Uh, the police department, all the higher-ups, I'm talking about chiefs, commissioners, all these people, Kaz Daudry, Jeffrey Madry, uh, Eric Adams, Eddie Caban, 
a list of, uh, of, of other deputy commissioners. They're all pictured with him. You could look it up online. Why they all associated with Jimmy and are involved with Richie Caban in this place, I don't know, but someone will have to answer for that. And there's another lawsuit with another officer who actually made these claims. And now it's actually been proven that the place was in violation. Also, a quick note, this character, Jimmy Rodriguez, I don't know why, but online threatened a friend of mine and a friend of the show's, uh, John McCary. You can actually look him up on Instagram and on Twitter. It's at John D. McCary. Okay. Him and his uh, partner in, on a podcast called The Finest Unfiltered with a retired, two retired lieutenants, John and Eric Dim. Eric Dim, you can find him on Twitter and on Instagram at Most Complaint Cop. And uh, I guess because they've been very critical of the police department, Jimmy decided to threaten John McCary on Instagram. Uh, this now has led to a full-blown investigation. Uh, they complained to the people that sponsored that party, Internal Affairs, and terminated me and said I was a barely bad guy because I'm friends with Roger Stone. And uh, that I, I don't know what's going on with that in particular, but you guys should stay tuned to this because uh, what my whole point here is, you see what's going on here? in New York City. And I'm personally, I, I call on the United States Attorney of the Southern District of New York to open up an investigation here because I don't understand why Darcel Clark, the District Attorney of Bronx, Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, Carl Hasty, who had three birthday fundraisers in five weeks at Concert Frito. I don't know what's going on with that. You want to talk about straw, uh, there's a lot of rumors about straw donors. So Carl Hasty. Eric Adams, Eddie Caban, Jeffrey Madry. There's a list of uh, Ralph Salamanca, who's a councilman, by the way. He's always there. You had Vel uh, uh, Velasquez, was another councilwoman. She lost that seat. She was always there. Uh, Karen Reyes, assemblywoman. Another assemblywoman, uh, I think her name is Jennifer Rachama. She wears a red dress. She's always with Eric Adams. She's always there. There's a list of politicians that have been there constantly, and cops. And one thing you could say, when all of these, and the criminals, when they're all hanging out in the same place, there has to be a catch. I don't know if there's discounted meals. I don't know if there's money being exchanged. I don't know if there's free drinks, but it's all conflict of interest. And since Letitia James is involved, and since uh, the, the Bronx attorney, the district attorney is involved, and the police commissioner and the mayor, the only person that could actually look into all of this, since it shouldn't even be open, in all honesty, because they never took care of anything, it's been a fire trap, is the DOJ and the Southern District of New York, who's already looking at Eric Adams because he was speeding up inspections for the Turkish embassy when he took the helm of being the mayor of New York City. And in this instance, there has been no inspections. Nobody went there. Nobody enforced anything. And the question is, why? So this is a story we're going to, you know, keep track of here in the Stone Zone, whether it's myself or Roger. Uh, obviously, uh, Roger has his own personal feelings with this because uh, he showed up to one police plaza. And like I said, it was quite the experience because the looks in their faces like they saw, you know, a ghost or, or the devil, one or the other. And uh, it, it was really a, a horrible experience for me. And just on a side note, while I was being investigated, my father got diagnosed with brain cancer. So I went to the hospital. I was followed to the hospital from my home at the time in Staten Island to Pennsylvania. 
Uh, none of my fam, no one in my family was allowed to go because of the COVID uh, protocols. I was the only person that wasn't sick, and I finally made it to the hospital. But I was being followed. I came to find out I was being followed by a goon from Internal Affairs because apparently, you know, I'm a big bad wolf. And I went to the hospital, and these were the final moments of my father who passed away. These people were haunting me. Like, they were just after me. Like, I, I cannot describe it. And then eventually, I was called back in. They looked at my phones. I could not notify anyone of what had happened to my father. Nobody knew what had happened. Many, my own family, my cousins, like uh, my, my, my family in Sicily, nobody knew what happened. Just my mother, my, my sister, and a couple of people that uh, like I like did call me that uh, were not engaged in criminal activity or whatever the hell they you know they didn't get a parking ticket 50 years ago. But while this is going on, I just want you to know that this character, Jimmy Rodriguez, with his uh, self-admitted criminal record and all this stuff going on with him, he was hanging out and pictured with the former police commissioner, Demarche, former police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell, who terminated me, and police commissioner, Eddie Caban, along with numerous other high-ranking officers. So you can't have it both ways. There can't be one rule for Eric Adams and one rule for Sal Greco. And that's the story of this, this case that I'm in. I'm going to fight this all the way. We're still in the court right now. I'm uh, actually waiting for a response from the city for discovery. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to push on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop. Okay. Uh, for P and for folks that want to uh, support me, because listen, this, I've been going through hell. I'm still scrapping away, doing many different things, but uh, it's been, uh, it's been quite a, 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 you know, it's been quite the experience for not only myself, my family, even Roger, I mean, Roger's family, you know, Roger is my family and they've been hearing this story forever. And it's uh, almost debilitating to, to keep talking about it. But, uh, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the offense. So you go to salgreco.com. You can follow me there. You can see what the, what the future holds for me, whatever I'm going to do. I post it there. I'm also uh, at the Sal Greco on Twitter at the Sal Greco on Instagram and at head of the table on uh, truth social. So you go to salgreco.com. If you, if you feel inclined, you want to support me in any which way, I'd greatly appreciate it. If uh, anyone that has donated, I, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's, it's an honor to have all the support from you. Uh, you click, go, so you go to the support page. Anything you can give helps me out. It, it helps, you know, goes a long way. And uh, if not, hey, uh, I got some shirts. I got a mug. You feel inclined. You want to take, uh, you know, maybe a Sagreco did nothing wrong shirt. You know, that also helps the, the whole cause because you're walking around and people could say, hey, look at that. So uh, we have that in a, on, a, on a final note here. Uh, anybody in the Miami area, okay? Everybody knows if you follow me, I'm, I'm very big with the highlight. Now, Highlight was a game that came from Spain. Uh, it's the fastest sport in the world. So my friend Eddie Moyer is part of the league. He owns one of the teams, the, 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 uh, the Chargers, they call it. And uh, he's also, uh, he has his own Instagram page. You can check him out uh, at a day, a day in Miami, a day in Miami, one, one big sentence. And uh, he's part of the Highlight League. Uh, they also have an app. You could check this out. Now, I, I took Roger there. A couple of times, uh, he's the only person that the people in the stands got up and gave standing ovation and wanted his autograph in the whole nine yards. It was like a hero's welcome for Roger when he got there. So uh, Highlight is restarting on Friday night, this February 2nd. Uh, the, it's right here. Spring 24 season opener. 
Okay, the Rebote Renegades are going to play the War Warriors. It's at Magic City Fronton. Okay, it's, uh, I'm going to give you the address. 450 Northwest 37th Avenue. It's out in Miami. Doors open 630. Uh, first serves at 7 p.m. Obviously, it's free admission, free parking, free-to-play wagering. And by the way, uh, in the back there, Cow Bakery, who's a local bakery, had 15 bakeries, by the way. They are down the street from the Trump Doral, and uh, I know they're big supporters of uh, President Trump. So Cow Bakery is there. They have the best cafecito in all of South Florida. Trust me when I tell you this. I have this like every morning. I have to go and have it. So they're a sponsor of the league. It's the Highlight League. You can look them up. I believe it's wjal.com. Uh, uh, they also have an app. So if you can't go to the game, if you're not, you don't live down in southern uh, South Florida, Miami, you can watch it online. It's a, it's a great atmosphere. It's a great time. Folks, I'm just saying this because, listen, you just heard everything I'm talking about. We have all this politics and all this, you know, people, you know, with Joe Biden and President Biden, you know, putting all the strain on people. And I'm just saying to yourself, you know, you just need to, like, taper it down and have, like, two hours to yourself. This is a great is a great time, not only for yourself, for your family. So check it out if you want. Highlight my friend, A Day in Miami. Uh, you could also see the great things that happened in Miami on the page. And, uh, you know, and hopefully, uh, you know, people will, uh, it'll uplift your spirits. Okay. And uh, don't forget, go to mypillow.com, use promo code STONE. Listen, I, I swear by those slippers. There are the slippers. I have the slippers and uh, I won't leave my house without them. If I am not working or not walking around, I have to wear those slippers. You could ask Roger this because he hears me every day talk about those slippers. In fact, I need to buy more. And uh, I just, I haven't had the time to go on there and buy like five pairs. So go to mypillow.com, please buy the slippers. You'll thank me for that later. All right, so that'll, that'll do it for the Stone Zone today. It's been an honor to sit in the captain's chair for the day. I hope everybody enjoyed the, the last, uh, oh, it's about an hour. And uh, Roger, we'll be back uh, with tomorrow's show. I'm Sal Greco. Uh, I'm very honored to have been here. Thank you all. God bless and have a good night.